my name's Tom. I'm in my early 20s. I um, have an attraction to children. The reason I'm here is that uh, I've gone through a program for pedophilia. To look at me, I'm probably you probably think that I don't fit the stereotype that the media portrays. I think a lot of people who are attracted to children don't fit that sort of stereotype of the old man uh, or the person who lurks in shadows, lurks around schoolyards or whatever. Basically, uh, I'm pretty ordinary. Well, Tom was a very shy, sad young man when he first came and he was so honest right from the beginning and I felt sure that he would benefit from the treatment program. He was somebody who could see he was on a path that could go to a very dangerous and bad place and he didn't want to go there. The first time I go to meet Tom, I'm very nervous. I'm nervous about meeting someone who's attracted to children the same age as my own. I'm nervous about meeting someone who would like to do things to them that I and the rest of society find abhorrent. I'm also nervous about taking on this most controversial of topics, paedophilia and child sex offenders. I'd like to say up front that this program is not a defence of child sexual abuse. It's not intending to excuse or condone, but rather to understand, to gain insight into an offender's mind. And it's an attempt to cut through the hatred and hysteria to explore ideas about ways to keep kids safe. I go to meet Tom anonymously. I don't know his real name. I don't know anything about where he lives. By the time I get there, my heart is racing. And there he is, a lot more nervous than me. And as his psychologist, Safe Care's clinical director, Christabel Chamaret, says, he's so very shy and strikingly so very, very ordinary and likeable. The boy next door. He's a, an intelligent um, young man from a, a good home, an attractive young man, and how he came across to me was ordinary, but I wouldn't have been, like you, surprised at that because all the people I see are very ordinary men from different parts of of life. They're very different from the men I met in the prison system who had had a hard life and then some of them developed that kind of stereotypic image than say how Tom is, which is just like the kid next door or my own son or whatever. I've sort of had strange feelings for children when I hit puberty around 13, 14. I was attracted to younger children than I was uh, when most of my classmates were interested in girls our own age. I was about 13, I was looking at 12-year-olds to 10s. It sort of just stuck there. I I started to fantasise about taking off their clothes and doing things in a sexual nature. I was bothered by it straight away as soon as... I didn't really know what to have a label for it, but I knew it was wrong. It was only later when that I started watching the news, as you do as you get into your teens, you sort of hear the word pedophile and that they're just monsters and, yeah, basically you're going to prison, that's the rest of your life. And also you just knew that you were doing damage 
if you were to pursue that, you just knew that um wouldn't be the right thing to do. Yet you still wanted to do it because you still wanted to fulfil your fantasies and stuff. Uh, it's pretty hard to battle with those thoughts. You get very uh, depressed and self-loathing. A lot of suicidal thoughts. You think um, that the only place you're going to end up is in jail. That's the only place you deserve to be. This is what I'm going to be labelled as and this is what I am. It must have been confronting for an adolescent to have those feelings. It was very um, confronting and also it felt very lonely because you can't speak of these sort of things. Um, you can't really talk to your mates or go to your family about it. Basically, you just have to hide it and not expose yourself or anything. I always thought of it as a, a disease more than a anything because... You don't want it, but you just, um, you just can't get it out of your head. I think my whole life um, was changed when I worked in the prison system and I saw what sort of childhoods people who committed really serious offences came from. And I thought, why on earth are we spending all this money further damaging people in society rather than trying to help people before they get to that point? And it's exposed me to enormous criticism there are people who believe that I'm soft on offenders because I'm compassionate. There is a positive way forward for people and for our community to keep our children safe rather than the pointless path of simply damaging people's lives more, locking them up, feeling fear and hatred and not being healed for one's own trauma. Nobody's born to offend against a child. OK, my name is Bill. I was a uh, sex offender against children, males, not females, aged nine or over. Indecent dealing, none of rape. Indecent dealing means touching a person's body with your hands but not, not actually physically raping them or penetration or anything like that. It's mainly indecent, indecent dealing itself. I'm not the person that goes around schools. I'm not the person that grabs older kids off the street. I don't use cars or anything like that to put a thing. I don't force people. In my past, the lower end of the scale is called conning people. You know, you, you might want to give them some money or something like that. And that's where a child is innocent because they don't understand. They do things for a reward. And uh, that's how I was doing mine. It was always done for some sort of reward. And I went to prison for the lower end of the scale, as the courts say, that uh, of sex offending. I wasn't the top end of the monster. I am a monster. I call myself a monster because the sex offenders are referred to that. I don't like sex offenders myself. Even though I am one, there are people in there who are absolute bloody monsters and don't give a damn about anything. And those people think it's all right to do things against children. And that makes me sick. I'm not in that category by, by a long shot. I've done wrong, but I just don't like sex offenders myself. 
Bill comes across as one of these quirky kind of guys that's very bright and alert and um, a little bit, looks a little bit on guard. An observer. An observer of life. And uh, he comes across to me as a survivor, actually, a classic survivor and a bit of a character, but a little bit on guard. Wary is the word I'd use to describe Bill. Unnervingly, he looks very much like someone I know. Again, ordinary. Although his life, as you'll hear later, has been anything but. Bill had spent much of his adult life in and out of prison for various child sex offences until he met Christabel Chamarette and she convinced him to take part in the 12 months offender program at Safe Care. Bill wasn't interested in doing the program initially because what he was asking for was somebody to hear his story. And while he was so antagonistic to the abuser in his life when he was a little boy and therefore didn't want to go to a group where there were other abusers, including himself, he was able to be persuaded to come. But I certainly felt that it was a benefit to the group to hear his story and for other men to see what he'd been through and how he had come to be damaged so much in his sexuality that he had never felt an attraction for the opposite sex. He'd been damaged too young to actually move across to that. When was it that you first started feeling those sorts of offending thoughts? I think it was when I was probably 16 years of age towards males. Back when I was a kid in the children's homes, um, a lot of sexual activity was going on by the staff and by other kids. So um, the unsettled uh, way of your life doesn't allow you to uh, trust adults and you seem to go for people that are um, 18 and under and... uh, Somehow, if you don't have trust in adults, you had trust in children and you're just looking for a way out, you're just looking for a bit of comfort. Uh, One of the turning points was when I stumbled across child porn, about 14, 15. I was just looking at regular adult porn and somehow I came across uh, some images of naked children. I remember I got a tight chest and a rush of adrenaline. Your heartbeat goes to your throat, just a rush. But um, you just feel dirty and you feel very paranoid. Obviously you knew then that it wasn't right. Oh Yeah, yeah I definitely knew it wasn't right. Um, brought up feelings of the same feelings when I was fondled as a child. A neighbour started um, playing a game of cards with me and started doing the, um, oh, when you get this card, you need to take off your clothes and um, start playing those sort of games. And I only remember up to a certain point of that, then it just goes blank in my mind. So going back to when I first saw the child porn, I remember that same feeling. as the same feeling as I was getting when the abuse was happening to me. It's wrong, but it still feels good. The truth is that only a very small proportion of those who offend against children sexually are paedophiles because a paedophile is someone who, as an adult, is only sexually attracted towards children. And that would be about 2 to 10% at the most of all 
who sexually offend against children. And there's another aspect which looks at a spectrum of risk to children. And uh, starting at the minor risk to children is those people who as adolescents or adults have developed fantasies that they realise are inappropriate. Say the people who start looking at adult pornography and suddenly find themselves mysteriously attracted to certain images that they know have crossed over a line. Now they're at the minor end of the spectrum which then extends to non-contact but with inappropriate relationships with children and then contact offending which is fondling, touching, tickling then to the more serious contact offending of indecent dealing of touching private parts and and then to the more serious end with major risks of sexual penetration and then of course the ones which we hear of much more commonly in the media of aggression and hurt Uh, But having that stereotype of the far end of major risk actually prevents people who've got the minor end from recognising they've got a problem, that what they could be doing is also wrong and and falls into the category of offending against children. I think having these thoughts basically just shuts you off emotionally and socially. You just constantly try and hide it and you hate yourself and you just don't want to talk to anyone basically withdrawal I got depression basically have no friends or anything I thought of suicide on a daily basis I just hated myself and I hated life and I knew well I thought then that the only place I'm going is jail so there was no point continuing basically the second attempt at suicide wasn't I was setting up. I thought, there's no point going on because I'm going to end up hurting someone. They're going to become uncontrollable. I just didn't want to deal with them anymore. And then, I don't know, I just thought, maybe it's not as bad as... Actually, I don't know why I stopped. Maybe I saw that I had support in my father. So maybe I'd see it through. Were you aware at the time that it wasn't right? Oh yes, you're always troubled. You always got a, a feeling of a, a, a guilty conscience. You know it's wrong, but you you don't want to think at the time because it hurts too much, and you probably wouldn't have done it. But the power of uh, the sexual relief and gratification is so great. You just felt there's like a tug of war. Uh, yeah, sometimes your heart rate's gone up because you know you you know you're doing wrong. You think, well, what have I done to this person? This person's kind. They were looking for affection but I've turned out the wrong way to them. I've done things wrong to them, and you do feel sorry. And uh, sometimes you, your guilt is there and you want to stop, and sometimes you, your need is greater than the guilt. So then when you were doing it again, how did you justify that to yourself? You didn't. You didn't justify it to yourself. There's just no thought there. It's just something that you needed. Why? 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 How much did you worry about being caught? Uh, that's always in your mind when you do something wrong. Uh, when you do, it adds to stress because sometimes you, you want to be able to say, I wish I could put an end to it and I hope he dobs. 
because it's just too much to bear. How did you get caught in the end? Uh, well, they did. They happened to have a conversation and the parents overheard the conversation between the, the two victims. So um, that was reported and then uh, it went from there. No, it's not a very pleasant feeling sitting home, never knowing when the knocker's going on the door because you did something wrong. But it is a relief. It is a huge relief. It's not been my experience that paedophiles don't feel remorse or think that what they're doing is all right. Um, by far the majority of, of people I've seen who've had this issue have felt deep shame. And in fact it's their deep shame and their desire never to admit it that makes it really difficult for them to put up their hands and get help. As I got into my later teenage years, basically I was just needed to hide it and I sort of split my life into, I need this over here and my real life over this way and being very cautious when walking around and stuff, like you're not staring at kids or I just hated myself. I've never had a girlfriend or, not that I wasn't interested, uh, I've just never been able to communicate with them. I just feel awkward and something wrong. I have an attraction still with women, and I was back then, had an attraction to women. But on the other hand, I still had an attraction for children, female and male. But I never considered myself gay. Even mature male form, you know, I get sickened by it. And maybe that's something to do with the abuse earlier. I tended to... Develop relationships with children because I could relate to them better, enjoy being around them more than people my own age. Were they more accepting of you? The children were more accepting, um, non judgmental, but uh, friendship. I just couldn't relate to anyone my age. I just wanted to be a kid basically again, like just do kid stuff, kick the footy, play computer games. I didn't want to go out clubbing and drinking alcohol and stuff. I just wasn't interested in it. We'll be taken. One, two, three. I've been told by lots of people that if you're stressed out and you're rejected by society or if you have low self-esteem in yourself, you look for a way out. You look for a way to relieve that stress. And the only people that never hurt you in your life was children. Adults always picked on you, and children never did. And this is why you sought comfort in the way that you were thinking, and this is why sexual abuse took part, because the program that Christabel does is one that goes back deep into your childhood. And she brings all of this out in you. I'd like to backtrack a bit and talk about your childhood. Can you explain what happened when you were a child? Uh, <clears throat> well, when I was a child, I was like nine years of age and uh, my um, 
father, he was in the Air Force, and while he was away, my mother was playing up with other men. She was three months pregnant, and when he found out, he murdered her. And I saw the murder in front of me when I was nine years of age. There was a lot of screaming going on, yelling going on. I've got two brothers and two sisters. They're younger than me. I'm the oldest. It was just before midnight. My mother was sitting on a chair. My father dragged her off the chair, knocked her teeth out. He took her out into the back where the laundry was and threw her to the ground. But he stabbed her in the front three times, in the back three times. He cut her throat, strangled her with a cord. She was still breathing. Here he went out the back and come back with an axe and caved her head in. Kept on hitting her until she was dead. So that night, midnight, I was taken away and put in a children's home. And then I went to another church home run by the Christian Brothers. And then I went to a foster home. In that foster home I was tortured. I was chained up to a bed. And I kicked up a stink. They didn't believe me. They took no notice. So I stayed there for another 12 months. And finally their own daughter had phoned up the police and the doctor came round and saw me and they found me being held in a copper of water being brought to the boil. And then I went to another home and then I went to a Christian brother's home where I was bashed and kicked around and sexually abused for a total of three years non-stop. If I ever wanted to write a book, which people say I should do, I'd title it to Helen Back with the word Back crossed out. Bill's story is one of the saddest that I'd ever heard and he came first to see me because he was referred for treatment for his childhood victimisation. Over all the years of having been imprisoned and um, being regarded as a, as a paedophile, he hadn't ever had the opportunity of treatment for his own childhood abuse. It's difficult in Bill's case to actually say which of his life experiences would have been the most damaging because he actually has all three of the highest risk factors to becoming an offender. He has neglect. He's also had exposure to most extreme violence. His uh, abuse in the institution was accepted as one of the most severest cases and he did get the maximum payout in compensation for what he experienced. And then possibly it's had the most severe effect. The one moment of being singled out as a special boy actually led to him being sexually abused and raped. The reality is that um, Bill represents what what would be called that kind of stereotype of a fixated paedophile, somebody who's through their, the extreme damage they experienced as a child has stayed as a child. So his age of attraction has been stuck at the age where he was damaged. He has never reached that stage of having an adult sexual attraction to peers. What would you say to people who will hear what you're saying and say that you're being overly sympathetic to him and allowing him to blame his own experiences on what he has done? He doesn't blame 
any of those experiences for his offending. And people who might say to me, you're being lenient, I just want to point out, I just don't condone children being damaged. And he was the first child in this little saga that was damaged and then went on to damage other children. I think that if we don't recognise where offending comes from, then we don't protect other children. So I don't feel that I'm being lenient in any way. I think I'm looking realistically at what sort of factors put our children at risk and how we need to address them. I grew up all through my teen years with these feelings. Basically, when I was around 19, I just couldn't deal with them anymore. I was afraid of what I was going to do. I think it got to that point where I thought I was going to do something. So um, I took a huge leap of faith and uh, told my father I hated living and I needed help. It was very hard to get out. I only got about two words out and then I just started sobbing. And I just had to confess my feelings and thoughts and hope that he didn't reject or just walk out. How did he react? Disbelief at first. And then um, he just wanted to understand why. Unfortunately, I couldn't give him any answers because I didn't know why. But then he was proud of me for being so honest. He basically said, I wish you'd told me earlier. And I've even heard him on other occasions growing up. You hear a story on the news about pedophilia and people abusing children. And basically he has the same sort of mentality as oh, they should be hung up by their balls. But I guess you need to change your attitude if your own son comes out. After that conversation, my father was searching around for some help. I'm guessing it would be pretty hard to ring around and say, my son has this problem, can you help me? Somebody in his family had rung us and said that they their son was suicidal and was concerned about thoughts to do with children and would we be willing to see him, and we were. So when I interviewed him, he really felt as though he shouldn't live. He didn't understand why he was feeling that way and um, I wanted to help him to uh, see how he could actually change and not be a risk to children because he he was somebody who could see he was on a path that could go to a very dangerous and bad place and he didn't want to go there. The day I started... Uh the safe care treatment. I was pretty paranoid, especially going into the building, thinking, what if people are watching this building, police or whatever, if they know what the building's all about, if they know what's going on inside. I basically went in there. Uh, It's hard because you're sitting there and you know the receptionist, people are walking by, they all know why you're there. They know what it's to do with. 
and you know why you're there. And the paranoia turned into ashamed and guilty. But the um, first initial contact with the psychologist was very relieving and they wanted to help. There's a bit of hope there because you knew they might have some answers for you. Why did you want to do the course? Because I wanted to change my life. I know that it's wrong to uh, offence against children. I, I wanted it to stop. I wanted to feel free. I wanted to be able to walk down the street without hurting anyone. Um, it's a very uncomfortable feeling when you go to go and do a group and you know that there's men in there and they're all sex offenders. You don't know if you've seen them before, whether somebody knows you or you know them. And because I've had people offended against me, which were adults as a kid, you've got this horrible feeling that they're all dirty people like myself and you've got to go and, and comfortably say hello and shake their hands or and introduce yourself to yeah. them. And that was quite scary because... You still think, oh, these people are going to be monsters, especially being the youngest in the group. Most of the people were late 30s into early 50s, and I was only 20. I did feel quite anxious about going to this group of pedophiles. I was quite scared. A lot of people were just had their heads down, sort of nervous and anxious. Everyone was ashamed of what they did. Everyone? I think the majority of people were. Some were in denial. They were sort of saying, oh, I let the child do this to me. They were sort of denying the fact that they were doing anything wrong, which um, is one of the things that Safe Care goes through, that try and put a reality to what's happening. They can tell you... It's probably not like that, it's probably like this. And this is how the child was feeling. But once you're in the group, I actually felt... I felt sad for him, actually. I first thought I'd feel disgusted or... How could you do that? But after knowing how you get there and how much regret and remorse you have... And I could see it and hear it from these other guys that... They're all there to get help and try and fix this because none of them wanted this. How confronting was it for you, given your experience in prison programs where being honest meant being threatened, how confronting was it for you in this situation to be honest about your life and your offences? Well, that's a lot easier because uh, nobody on the outside is going to make any threats to you. You're not locked up with them. You go your way, they don't know where you live and you don't know where they live. Your heart rate's like increasing there and you're sitting down there and you're saying, I did a decent dealing, I touched the person private parts or whatever and the group will have to accept and not ostracise people. This type of thing would be absolutely impossible inside a prison system. Putting a sex offender against a child in the same room as those that have done it against an adult, the person is made to feel very uncomfortable in the group. What were they, what were they saying or doing? 
Oh, well, it's threatening and say if you don't get off the program, you will cave your head in. We don't want people like you on there. We're here to get, to get out of the prison and, and it's supposed to be confidential. But the fact is that they've found out what they're in there for and they're going to spread that word around. There's a communal shower in each wing and sometimes you feel threatened. They spit or urinate in your, in your milk. I started on the program, yeah, but the flack coming from the group because you're a pedophile is, 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 was too much. But mine is in decent dealings. It's the lesser of the offence. It's bad, but it's the lesser of it. And I thank God it is because, no, I'm not at the top end of the scale there and I'm bloody grateful that I am not. How much justification do you hear about what they've done? Well, justification is a, is a, a complicated thing because often people think justification means it's all right that I did it. It comes from being deeply ashamed of what you've done. And so often there's a lot of justifying and we try and help people to see that it's not appropriate or useful to blame anybody. One has to take responsibility for what uh, our own behaviour is. What kind of justifications or rationalisations would you hear? Oh, well, I think the one that is most misunderstood by the public is I was a victim because people then say, well, that doesn't make it okay. If you were a victim, you shouldn't, you know, inflict that on somebody else. But it's it's actually not meant to say it's therefore okay. It's actually an explanation. It's something that you suddenly realise had an impact. But uh, we have a session called DMGs, Denials, Minimisations and Justifications, and we start off by uh, getting people to think about how they respond when they're picked up by a policeman for speeding. Oh, was I really doing that? That's denial. Minimisation, oh, but it was only two over. You know, that's minimisation. Justification, oh, I was really racing to the hospital or I was playing the radio so I didn't notice. We all do it. It's not just people that offend, but of course it becomes quite offensive if people use that same thing of, I don't like what I've done and I don't like being caught, so my defence mechanisms cause me to justify or, or deny or minimise the impact of what I've done. Clinical Director of Safe Care, Christabel Chamaret. The counselling program for offenders was arduous. The men met weekly for a year, usually for hours and hours at a time covering everything from childhood trauma to re-establishing empathy, relapse prevention and positive sexuality. Now, Christabel has a glass jar. She always says, now, how much of this glass jar contains the history of you? All of this that's in the glass jar is sadness, unhappiness, etc., etc. She said, if you're open in the group and you're honest with yourself, we can empty the glass jar. And she says to me now, what can you remember in your childhood? And I said, well, from the age of nine, nothing. Because I saw a murder and I suffered the consequences of that because my mind is blank from the age of nine downwards. And then she says, it's quite a coincidence that most people who offend seem to start with when they were offended against, when the bad things in their life started to happen. Is that what happened with you? Yes, it seemed to be that because, as I said, my youngest was nine in decent dealing. 
And the biggest revelation that he said he he got from it was when I said to him, did he realise that, uh, you know, how much he hated uh, the person that abused him when he was 14? And I said, do you realise that you've become that person? That was a real shock for him. He hadn't realised that he'd actually become him to other boys that were in his category when he was a victim. He'd, he'd actually acted out the very thing he most hated and felt most stuck in. Can you help me? Were there any sessions that were particularly difficult for you? Probably the hardest but the most beneficial was the um, victim empathy module. You're basically turning on your empathy again, which you block off when you start having thoughts. You block off your empathy for the child. You're justifying it. You're denying it. You might be minimalising it. Like a game mate, oh, it's just a game. They, They won't think anything bad of it but when you're told put yourself in your in the child's shoes yeah it's very confronting what happened in that module how how did the facilitators work to unlock your empathy we watched a video about abuse analyzed each character's response and feelings then we did role playing we would write letters to victims or potential victims or um two letters one from your point of view one from the child's point of view yeah that was hard I'd had to write it uh, as if I'd done something to them and how they would feel and I did use a bit of my experience what did you what did you write why did you make me do those things I thought we were friends I feel betrayed it's very confronting putting myself in the shoes of my perpetrator but um it was sort of an understanding and forgiveness at the same time. I guess one of the issues most people would be concerned with is how you teach people to minimise the risk of offending. How do you do that? Well, the most important thing which might surprise people is you use their own inner motivation not to offend. And you will work with that part of them that doesn't want to offend to the maximum so that they won't. They were to uh, commit to never being alone with a child and people develop their own safety strategies to ensure that they will never put themselves in a position where they would be at risk. I mean, when you're going to a social function... Uh, making sure that you're interacting with the adults. If you are out on the street, that you you actually don't engage children. And if you find yourself looking, you recognise that as inappropriate and you do something about it, like ring and talk to somebody who can help you, like your psychologist. And that's why having a, a therapy program and having some ongoing people that know what you've done and are your supporters is very important. I know the situations that I need to stay out of is being alone with children. Obviously, that's probably the first and foremost. Swimming pools, maybe where child's topless or whatever. The beach. Just things that I know that 
maybe a child will catch me off guard. If I do look at porn and I start to want something younger, I sort of stop. One of the key things that you're taught in the Safe Care Program is to recognise your triggers, what can trigger you to have offending thoughts um, or to offend. How did you go about working out what your triggers were and, and what were they? Okay, to figure out the triggers, we sort of um, try to look back to just the before you're about to start doing something, either looking up porn or uh, just before having offending thoughts or if people are just about to offend. What are the feelings before that? What's triggered that motion of starting to think that way? Whether it be, in my case, sort of uh, depression and loneliness brings it on. Also, if I see a child without a shirt or something, I sort of start to think that thought pattern. It's not like I start getting into that thought pattern every child I see or anything. It's only certain situations that might trigger that. I'm interested that loneliness Mm -hmm. was one of your key triggers. That seems to be a common theme and not what I had always imagined would be the obvious trigger. When you start getting lonely, the depression comes. I think they go hand in hand. So if you start getting depressed, you get lonely. If you start getting lonely, you get depressed. And that can be a trigger to find that sort of gratification, whether it be drugs or or pedophilia. Are you in contact with any of your family, your brothers and sisters? No. No, I haven't seen my brothers and sisters since I was 18 years of age now. Because of the, my lifestyle, the way I had, and it's been enough in the newspapers and everything else, it's sort of like my family's probably read that and have lost interest. Do you have friends? Acquaintances, because you're afraid to make friends, because if you make friends and they find out what you've done, you're not going to have friends very long. So they're acquaintances. How does that feel? Horrible. But you can't go and sit down with a person and have, have them knowing your background because if they knew your background, they wouldn't want to know you. Have you told anybody? No, because if you do, how can you trust them? Where you live is where you live and you just can't get up and go. You have to hide. You have to be dishonest in order to be safe because... The society puts everyone in the one basket. You're a sex offender, full stop. I hate seeing something on TV where a child gets hurt because then that upsets the public and the B being a sex offender is going to be put in the same category. If you can't walk down the street for fear of what other people might do to you, people get attacked and houses firebombed and whatever else, and naming and shaming offenders is a way of these people taking the law into their own hands. It is very important for the public to understand that somebody that comes out, wants to do a program, does do a program, is not in the same category as the others. It is only when I'm in a situation where if I'm stressed out or lonely or haven't got anything to do or no-one to turn to, and therefore that leads to higher depression and leads to person committing more offences if they feel like they've been left out in society. 
So I find this really interesting because, you know, this is in somewhat the kind of key question about how you handle offenders who've been imprisoned and how the community treats them when they're released. I mean, he's living that life of having been released and living in fear of being found out. Well, I mean, he's living as normal a life as he could have hoped to live and it's offence-free, he reports because he's on a sex offender register, but he is in fear that he will be vilified like people on the television are. And I certainly think that uh, community notification is a most unhelpful thing. It actually just drives people underground and into despair, and I don't think it's at all helpful to protect children um, because what we do know is that recidivism is very low especially of those who've had treatment. So making their life a misery and kind of uh, publicly vilifying them doesn't help at all. It actually might give some people a sense of revenge or satisfaction, but it doesn't keep children any safer. And it's the not being treated fine that's the trigger. You've said that one of your triggers is loneliness. And so one of the one of the strategies that Safe Care has taught you is to reach out and create a life for yourself and join groups. How are you going about doing that? I have joint groups, activities, activities uh, etc., that I didn't do before that I'm now very grateful and uh, love it every second of it. And uh, I find that when I'm bored now, I don't have to just watch the TV so that I can get up and do a number of hobbies that I really, really enjoy. And you're less likely to commit any offences because you found something else more pleasurable to occupy your mind. So it's been almost two years since you finished the safe care course. Are you finding it easier to control those thoughts? Do they come up as often? Some thoughts crop up, but they're a lot more manageable and you're not scared of them. Um, you understand them better. I think the main thing I'd go back to is that empathy module, thinking about how it's going to affect the child. Does it work? Not always. Then you go through the series of... um. What's triggered it? What can I lose? What happens if this all comes out? You basically lose your freedom because you'll go to jail. I try and always let myself have fun and stuff and, and go out and not worry about what people think. And It doesn't matter if you're alone or you don't have a girlfriend or anything like that. Even if family or society or whatever is trying to push that onto you, Oh, you're a geek or whatever if you haven't had sex or anything. Basically, I don't buy to that anymore. There, there's, there's always thoughts, but... It's like as though they cleared up for me. Um, I've learnt to deal with it so much and I tell myself the consequences of any actions. I'd rather not have those thoughts. I've sort of brushed them away now since doing this program. How do you do that? 
by thinking of the good things and not thinking that you that you need a some sort of sexual activity for gratification because it's not there. You find other things to do and you sort of like push that back and it's a good feeling that you're not thinking of sexual activity with a minor anymore. It's 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 a sense of freedom. And I'm proud of the fact that that is so far looking good. So I can kiss the bars goodbye and I'm happy about that. Over 18, over 18, no problems. It's such a relief and uh, there's no way in hell do I want to go back inside. Why offer treatment to paedophiles? I mean, many would say, lock them up, throw away the key. They don't deserve treatment, they can't be fixed. Why, why treat them? The major reason for offering treatment to paedophiles and for people who could develop in that direction is to protect children. We're not protecting children with the attitudes of lock them up, throw away the key, because in actual fact we can't lock up everyone. So the really constructive intervention is not to label people and to prevent them putting up their hands and asking for help. The most helpful intervention is to say, if you know you have this problem, for goodness sake, get help straight away. And I think it's tragic that proper funding is not available to run programs like the one I was running until it was closed because there are many men out there. I know because over 20 years of working with a treatment program that offered this treatment, the the most common phrase we heard was, if only I'd known you were here earlier, I would have come. It's just a part of you. You do all this good stuff, but there's this one part that you need help with and fixing. I didn't like what I was doing. I, I just didn't know how to stop it. And I just felt like there was no help. It's, you just can't turn anywhere because you you just get thrown in jail. So how do you feel now? How fine a line is it for you between offending and not offending? Before it was, um, you were basically on the edge of offending or not. But now I'm, I'm a kilometre away from the edge. I feel quite good. <laughs> 